Well, I'm guessing that when you saw the title of today's message, Three Keys to Financial Freedom, you probably had one of two responses. Oh, no, or oh, good. Uh, some of you are likely thinking, oh, no, not another sermon on money. Uh, many people have the impression that churches are always talking about money, that they always want more of it. And if that's your reaction, and, and I get it if it is, let me just point out a couple things. First, we typically teach on money once or twice a year at Grace, so it's really not that much. And secondly, we're not talking about money today because we want more of it. <laughs> the truth is, we closed the books on our fiscal year yesterday. So it's too late to ask for special gifts to close the gap and all that sort of thing. So we don't want something from you today. We want something for you today. And what we want for you is financial freedom. Uh, which leads us to the second likely response to today's sermon topic, which is, oh, good, I could use some help with my money. Because according to every survey, there is not a lot of financial freedom out there right now. Uh, listen to just a few recent statistics. 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, that means two out of three people are barely keeping up including people with six-figure incomes. 54% of Americans have chronic anxiety about money, which means that more than half of us are worrying about money right now. 31% of couples argue about finances every month. I won't ask for a show of hands. 77% of Americans are carrying consumer debt not counting a mortgage. And the average amount of that debt per person is about $17,000. And you can double that for a two-income household. And finally, consumer prices have increased by 8.5% over the past 12 months. But you probably didn't need, need me to, to tell you that. So aren't you glad you tuned in today? <laughs> If you weren't feeling stressed about money before, you probably are now. So whatever your initial reaction was to today's sermon topic, I'm pretty sure most of us could do with a little more financial freedom than we're now experiencing. So that's what we'd like to offer you today. Spoiler alert, the answer isn't more money. I'd actually like to offer you three keys to financial freedom. The first one is theological, the second one is practical, and the third one is just plain fun. And if you'll embrace even one of them, I promise you'll walk away from this message feeling freer than you do right now. Now, one more thing before we jump in. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, I know how you hate to preach about money. The truth is, I don't. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, when I preach about money, I know I'll have your attention because it's so relevant to all of our lives. But mostly, I'm happy to preach about money because I really believe that the principles we find in Scripture are good for us, and they can lead us to greater joy and contentment and freedom when it comes to money. So the things I'm talking to you about today, I have experienced personally, and I'll share some of that 
along the way. So let's get started. The first key to financial freedom is stewardship. Now, if you're a church person, you could probably see that one coming. If, if you're newer to church, you may be asking, what's that? Well, stewardship is the biblical idea that everything we have actually belongs to God, that he simply places it in our hands to manage for him. Steward is just another word for manager, and in particular, a person who manages another person's resources. So let's look at a couple of biblical texts, and then I'll try to illustrate it. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So since God is the creator and sustainer of all that is, by rights and by logic, everything ultimately belongs to him. Well, King David personalizes this idea in a prayer from 1 Chronicles 29. Praise be to you, O Lord, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So David is acknowledging that even when he brings God an offering, he's only giving back to God what belonged to God in the first place. Well, Jesus took this idea of stewardship and brought it into everyday life through some of his parables. Uh, like this one, uh, Matthew 25 begins this way. The kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Then he went on his journey. Well, the parable goes on to make clear that, that the wealthy man expected that these servants or stewards would, would do something useful with the money, that they would put it to work, use it in a way that would not only preserve, but actually increase the master's holdings. So they were free to use the money however they saw fit, but all the while remembering that it wasn't really theirs. Now, we should point out that Jesus wasn't just talking about financial resources, but, but about all the gifts that God gives to us. Our time, our talents, our health, our relationships. The idea is that God places these gifts in our hands in order that we might use them and even enjoy them, but, but to do so in ways that serve his interests in the world, ways that produce more goodness and more beauty and more joy. Someday, when we die, it will all return to him. But in the meantime, we get to steward these gifts in ways that are good for us and good for the world. A pastor named Chip Ingram tells the story of an experience he had as a young pastor. One day, a wealthy church member took him out to lunch and after some small talk, handed him a checkbook with $5,000 in it. The man said, I'd like you to use this money to help people in whatever way you see fit. You don't have to check with me every time you use it. Just do what seems right. And when it's all used up, we'll have lunch. And if it goes well, I'll give you another $5,000. Well, at first, Chip said it was, it was kind of overwhelming. 
He'd never had that kind of money in his life. And now he was responsible for it, for using it wisely and in keeping with his, his benefactor's interests. But once he got the hang of it, he found it incredibly liberating and life-giving to have all these resources at his disposal. But Chip was a steward of a wealthy man's resources. And so are we. God has entrusted each of us with a unique set of resources, including our money. But the remarkable thing about our stewardship is that God lets us use those resources any way we want. Not just to serve other people's interests, but to serve our own interests. To put a roof over our heads, or to buy cars and clothes and computers, to go out to eat or take a vacation. Once you realize that everything you have actually belongs to God, it's really quite liberating. If I can borrow a gambling term, which is kind of awkward since gambling is generally not good stewardship, it's like playing with house money. It's not really ours anyway. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. Years ago, uh, with some help from Karen's folks, we were able to buy ourselves a new van. Not a minivan. We had already burned through two of those. Now, we bought ourselves a brand new, full-size, customized conversion van. Reclining, bucket seats all around, a rear bench that unfolded into a bed, personalized reading lights, and, and more cup holders than you could count. Now, we were a family of six, and we took a lot of road trips, so it was perfect for us. Now, I'm not really a car guy, but, but I loved that van. Sitting up high, cruising down the highway, weaving in and out of New York traffic. Well, we had never dreamed of owning a car like that. We knew it was a God thing. So we wanted to be good stewards of it to use it in ways that we thought would please him. So, not too long after getting it, uh, we were going on a trip without the van, so we offered it to one of our missionary couples. They had a big family and, and one really used car. So, we figured it would bless them to have a nice new big car to use for 10 days or so. Well, the woman hesitated at first. That's very kind of you, she said, but, but we would feel terrible if something ever happened to it. I said, don't worry about it. We're, we're happy for you to use it. And besides, it's the Lord's van anyway. Well, on the second day of our vacation, I got a call from the woman. And in a halting voice, she said to me, we just wrecked the Lord's van. It turns out they had backed into a light pole and caved in the rear doors and bumper. Now, we didn't want them saddled with yet another bill, so we paid to get it fixed. But the doors never did close right after that. But here's the thing. It didn't really bother me. We just, we just kept reminding ourselves that it really wasn't ours in the first place. We just got to use it for a while. And there was something very freeing about that. We drove that van for 10 more years all over the country. And every time it got a ding or a dent, every time I had to double slam those rear doors, I just reminded myself that it's the Lord's van anyway. 
<laughs> and we were just blessed to have it. So one of the most liberating things you can do is to deliberately and intentionally place everything you have back in God's hands. It belongs to Him anyway. So you might as well release yourself from the burden of owning it, protecting it, and controlling it. Embracing stewardship is the first key to financial freedom because it reminds us that it all belongs to God anyway. So, like I said, that first key to financial freedom is theological. The second one is practical. Planning. Now, now planning, of course, is just another word for budgeting, which I purposely didn't use because I know it can be a scary word sometimes. Budgeting sounds tedious and, and complicated and, and confining. But a budget is simply a plan for spending and saving and giving your money. And, and when you have a plan for your money, it sets you free to actually enjoy the spending and the saving and the giving. If you know you have X amount of dollars a month to spend on entertainment, well, you can go out to the movies or go out to eat without feeling guilty about it because it's in the budget. Now, it's hard to find chapter and verse for budgeting in the Bible, but some of the Proverbs come pretty close. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, remember that a proverb isn't a promise. Plans don't always lead to profit. A proverb is a statement of how things generally work in God's world. And generally speaking, plans lead to better outcomes, especially when it comes to money. Here's another one from Proverbs 24. A house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Now think about it for a minute. You would never try to build a house or start a business or even take a vacation without some kind of plan, without doing some research and sketching out some ideas and making a schedule. And yet every day, people pull out their wallets or, or swipe their credit card or trade some crypto without any sense of, of why they're doing it or where it might take them or, or how they're going to pay for it. In, in the early years of our marriage, we, we didn't have much of a plan for saving or spending. Now, we didn't have a lot to work with, for one thing. I mean, for, for quite a few years, we were living on a small church pastor's salary. And, and without a plan, every financial decision was fraught with angst and, and anxiety and, and occasional arguments. Should we buy diapers or, or put gas in the car? Can we order pizza on Friday night like all the other families in town? How much should we give to the capital campaign? Should we be saving for college or retirement or a trip to Disney? What's our credit card balance and how in the world are we going to pay it off? So we tried from time to time to make a plan, but, but we just never stuck with it. 
It wasn't fun and we didn't feel free. Somewhere around year 10 in our marriage, we took a financial stewardship course at church. 10 weeks of instruction and a workbook. Simple steps and strategies that, that helped us bring order and wisdom to our finances. And right about that time, in the providence of God, we received what felt to us like a financial windfall. It was, it was a few thousand dollars, but it enabled us to clear up most of our debt and, and, and get out on an even footing. And from that level place, we began to work a plan that put us on a new financial trajectory. And here we are, many decades later, on the other side of college educations and weddings that, that we never thought we'd be able to pay for. And in large part, we got here because of decisions made and habits begun a long time ago. Now, I want to be quick to acknowledge that, that Karen and I have enjoyed what, what many might consider a, a, a privileged position. We've had supportive families. We've enjoyed good health and, and good educations. We've had positive career opportunities. Not everyone has those kinds of advantages. And even if you have those things in place, life can still take some unfair and unexpected turns. So I don't want to presume or pretend that financial freedom is as simple as a course and a workbook. And I realize that, that some of you listening today are dealing with, with very limited resources and enormous challenges. But however little or much you have, some wisdom and a plan can put you on a track to better days. And, and knowing what a financially unsettling season this has been for so many people, uh, we've arranged to host a financial learning experience here at Grace, Grace Chapel Lexington on Sunday afternoon, May 22nd. Joe Sangle from Enjoy Consulting will be here that day to offer a free workshop that can provide you with tools and steps to help you build a budget, get out of debt, plan for retirement, and, and find some financial margin. Wherever you are in life or finances right now, I really think you'll find it helpful. And you can find more info, info about that at grace.org event. Uh, let me also say that if you should find yourself in a time of financial crisis right now, please know that we would love to come alongside you. We have a benevolence fund for that very purpose. It can offer immediate assistance. And we have financial coaches who can come alongside and help you get to a better place. So you can find out more about that at grace.org slash benevolence, or just reach out to any one of our pastors. So the first key to financial freedom is theological. Stewardship. It all belongs to God anyway. The second is practical. Planning. Because it can save you a lot of angst, anxiety, and arguments. The third key is just plain fun. Generosity. Now, when we hear the word generosity, we, 
we tend to think of wealthy people giving away lots of money. But, but, but there's really more to it than that, or less, depending how you look at it. The dictionary tells us that generosity is simply the readiness to give more of something than is expected. Now, that something could be money, but it could also be time or energy or kindness or love. And generosity is giving more of those things than might be expected under the circumstances. Tipping the server 25% instead of the usual 15 or 20. Giving time to someone when you're in a really busy season. Showing kindness to a complete stranger or even to an enemy. When you give more than might be expected or required, it's generous. And it's a beautiful way to live. It's, li it's living with open hands and open heart, sharing freely whatever you have with the world around you. And if you're saying to yourself, sounds wonderful, I wish I could afford to live that way, you can. God actually promises it. Let me take you to one of the most liberating verses you'll find anywhere in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, let's make sure we understand this uh, rightly here. God isn't promising to make you a millionaire so you can give away lots of money. What he is promising is to pour so many riches into your life that you can share those riches freely with others and never run out. Now, those riches may be financial, but they also might be relational or emotional or intellectual or spiritual. And when we share those riches with other people, it's good for them because it makes their lives better. It's good for us because it brings us joy and fulfillment. And it's good for God because they're his resources anyway. And he wants us to share them. So God isn't promising to make you wealthy, but he is promising to make you generous. And here's why generosity is so liberating financially. It breaks money's grip on us. I mean, let's face it, no matter how much or how little money you have, it can easily take hold of your heart and take over your life. We get consumed by making money, spending money, protecting money, controlling our money. But every time you give money away, you break its hold over you. Every time you put money in an offering plate, every time you text or Venmo something to a worthy cause, every time you add an extra buck or two to the server's tip, you're declaring your freedom from money's control over you. And the more you do that, the freer you feel. And that's the crazy thing about how this works. For most of us, Financial freedom isn't really about making more money. It's about giving more money. 
Now, obviously, if you have more, you can generally give more. Though it doesn't always work that way, as we all know. And sometimes you can be in such financial straits that you really don't have much to give at all. But whether you have a lot or a little, generosity breaks money's grip on us. Now, unfortunately, generosity doesn't come naturally to most of us. We tend to be fearful and and protective and, and selfish when it comes to money. Generosity is something that we grow into as we take small steps and and learn to trust God with our finances. So here at Grace, we talk about something called the generosity journey. The journey begins the, the first time you make an intentional gift to your church or to some worthy cause that God puts on your heart. We just call that new giving. We actually had 38 people who made their first gift to Grace Chapel last month. That was an important step for them and for us. Uh, The next step on the journey is to begin regular giving. So instead of giving impulsively, or when you feel like it, or, or when you have a little extra, you make a decision to give weekly, or bi weekly, or monthly to your church or to some charity that God puts on your heart. It's amazing how much you can give when you give even a small amount steadily over the course of a year. We have about 1,500 regular giving units at Grace Chapel, and every one of them makes a difference. Uh, The next step is proportionate giving. That means instead of just picking an arbitrary amount to give, you give based on a percentage of your income. Now, the Bible talks about bringing a tithe to the Lord, the first 10% of your income. Uh, They tell us that the median household income in the United States is about $65,000 a year. So a tithe of that would be $6,500 a year or about $125 a week. Now, as we understand the New Testament, as I understand it, it doesn't teach tithing as a law or a requirement, but but many believers find it to be a helpful benchmark, a a goal to work toward. I've been tithing my whole life, ever since I was a kid, putting 10% of my lawn mowing money into the offering plate. But but I understand if you haven't grown up doing that, you, you, you may need to kind of grow your way into it. And that's the idea behind proportionate giving. Decide on a percentage, 2%, 5%, whatever, and begin there. And as you experience God's provision and the joy of giving, you you, you grow your giving year by year toward that 10% goal. But what many people discover over time is that they can give even more than 10% of their income, 12%, 20%, even more. And we call that abundant giving. And abundant giving isn't just for wealthy people. It's for anybody who finds such joy and freedom in giving that they want to give more than can be expected, more than they thought they could. Karen and I have been 
tithing for our entire married lives, <laughs> even back when we were trying to decide between buying diapers or gas. But, but as, as time has gone by, as, as our income grew, as, as we got past some of those financial hurdles in life, we've been able to move beyond 10%. And, and while we scratch our heads sometimes over that, it's brought such joy and meaning and freedom into our lives. We, we've never regretted anything that we've given. So generosity is a journey. It's a journey we all struggle with sometimes for all kinds of reasons. But it's a journey worth taking because nothing breaks money's grip on us like giving some of it away. So with that in mind, I'd like to invite you to consider what, what some churches are calling the 1% challenge. I actually like to call it the 1% invitation because I think it's an invitation to financial freedom. And the idea is simply to increase your giving by 1% for 90 days. So not 1% of your current giving, but 1% of your income. So again, if you're making the national average of $65,000 a year, increasing your giving by 1% would mean an additional $650 a year or $1,250 a week. The price of a, of a Domino's pizza with two toppings. And the invitation is, is to try it for 90 days. Like maybe from May 1st to July 31st, for example. And then see how you feel at the end of those 90 days. And if you don't feel more joy, more freedom, more confidence in God's ability to provide, then just go back to what you were giving before. I wonder what would happen in our lives, in our church, in the causes we care about, if we were to give 1% more for the next 90 days. Well, I promised you at the beginning of this message that we didn't want something from you today. We wanted something for you. And to prove we really mean that, we actually have a gift for you today. A beautiful little book called The Genius of Generosity. It was written by Chip Ingram, uh, the pastor I mentioned earlier, who, who was given $5,000 to steward. And that experience so changed his life in a wonderful way that he wrote a little book about it. It's a fun and easy read. And thanks to the generosity of an anonymous donor somewhere else in the country, we're able to offer you this $7 book absolutely free. So just send me an email, brian at grace.org with your address, and we'll happily mail one to you. Or you can swing by the Lexington offices anytime during business hours and, and pick one up. What we really want for you today is financial freedom. So we've offered you three keys. Stewardship, because it all belongs to God anyway. So maybe it's time to intentionally and prayerfully place everything you have back in God's hands. The second is planning, because it can save you a lot of angst and anxiety and arguments. So maybe it's time to make a budget 
or uh, to take that financial learning experience on May 22nd. The third key is generosity, because nothing breaks money's grip on us like giving it away. So maybe it's time to take your next step on the generosity journey, from new giver to regular to proportionate to abundant. Or maybe, it's, maybe you're ready to try the 1% invitation for 90 days. Any one of these keys can bring you a greater sense of financial freedom. The three of them together can change your life. And, and again, if all of this feels impossible to you right now, if you're in a season of financial distress, we really do want to help with, with assistance, with coaching, with prayer. Just please send me an email, brian with a y at grace.org. Uh, let's pray about this. Thank you, Lord, for all your good gifts to us. This beautiful world you've made, our health and strength, our homes and jobs and friends and families, and most of all, for your love shown to us in Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we might enjoy good and eternal life and share it with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.